to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. And today we're joined by Angela Henderson, who I've known online for a little while now and actually was on Angela's podcast. And I saw a Facebook Live that Ange did from in a hospital gown from hospital talking about preparing a business to run without her. And she'd had 16 days in hospital and two weeks recovering and her business was still able to progress and run during that period. So I thought, I have to get you onto the podcast, Ange, <laughs> to talk about this. So welcome. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Lovely to connect thing as always. Yes, you were on my podcast. We've known each other for a while and it's just good to be surrounded by good people like yourself. Thanks so much, Edge. So let's start with a little bit of your backstory. So how you started out. I think you mentioned that you worked in mental health before running a small business. Yeah, that's right. So my background is I'm a trained mental health clinician by trade, which means I would do any diagnosing of people, you know, diagnostic assessments for schizophrenia, depression, autism, anxiety, etc. So that's kind of my role in doing that for about 15 years. So with my first business, which is Finley and Me, which is an e-commerce platform with about 1,400 different products we are selling at any given time. And what we did is we focused on creating childhood memories through play, love, and travel. And that was opened up a year after my son was born when I realized really that at the end of the day, I wanted to find more products that were out there that weren't electronic and battery operated, though we do have those in our house, just full disclosure. I just wanted something that, again, he we could spark his imagination, work on his fine motor skill development, color recognition, et cetera. So I started Finley and Me but I still worked full time up until two years ago. So I've always worked five days a week. It was always very structured, you know, wake up, do mom duty, head to work, come home, take mom hat off and do the business. So, yeah, so I worked full time doing that. Then we started Finley and Me. And from there, probably about two years ago, no, a little over two years ago, I just looked at my diary and I realized that I had eight coffee dates, quote unquote, where people wanted to pick my brain in one month and the same the next month. And that's how Angela Henderson Consulting kind of formed from was that I didn't, was never in the plan, but I just was like, well, hold on a minute. If 16 people wanted to pick my brain, I had to drive there, pay for my own Diet Coke, drive back, give advice. If I charge people, I could have a secondary business. So uh, yeah, now I am a uh, business consultant working with women in business to develop the foundational framework they need to grow a sustainable and profitable business. I love the way that you describe that with values tied in to what you're trying to achieve with the business consulting as well. Mm. And so when you're doing the business consulting, what kind of things are you working on with your clients? Yeah. So again, my big thing is the foundational framework you need for future growth and success. And so many businesses come to me I kind of the analogy I use, and you're about to be a parent very soon, you're going to be reading books left or in right, or maybe not, but you may eventually read the uh, Three Little Pigs, or you've read it as a child. And what will happen there is, is that you've got a house made of hay and a house made of straw, and you've got the house made of bricks. And I relate businesses to the same that come to me. They normally are a business made of hay or a business made of straw, but their foundation is cracked. So it wouldn't take months for them to either go bankrupt, have to close up shop, or potentially put their families like financial situation at risk or pull money from savings. So when I first work with businesses, I go back to the basics. I look at, do they actually understand who their core audience is? Do they actually have a solid product that is selling or do they just think they have a product that is selling? I also explore things like, 
from ideal client, their messaging. So when people land on their website, do people know exactly what they do and what's the call to action? I look at people's lead magnets. I look at how are you getting them into a funnel? What happens? How are you nurturing them once they're in the funnel? I look at, you know, post-sale. I'm constantly looking and this in my framework can be used for either e-commerce or service-based businesses. But my goal is, is when they start working with me, is we strip the layers of hay and sticks out and we start to build their business on bricks. So even if they have a bad month financially, they know that they're still going to be okay. They're not crumbling over. Other things we look at once we get those foundation elements done is things like your ecosystem. So you know, what other monetary streams of income do you have coming in? So if you have a bad month on one stream, you've got an equally, you've got a better chance because you've got another form of income coming in. So that's a little bit about how I work with them. And each business is slightly different. You never get the same. The income stream thing that you were talking about, that's really interesting to me. So if you were working with a service business, I think a lot of first-time business owners often start out with consulting with whatever their skill set is as their mm-hmm. first revenue stream. So what would you say to someone in that position if they were trying to build a secondary revenue stream? Yep. Again, as many people, again, start out, as you said, is they'll start out the consulting, they'll try and figure their feet out, what their framework is, et cetera, similar to what I did. But eventually, there's only so many hours in the day. So I always knew that I would need to bring on another product and move from a one-to-one to a one-to-many model. And so what I did is I, I get about anywhere from three to five discovery calls a week with clients. And a lot of times what I was finding is they wanted to work with me, but they couldn't afford my VIP services. So right there, I just started documenting that again, I had a need and I needed to find a product that would fit that need. So I pretty much started writing down everything that I was doing with my VIP clients and started tallying what I was doing. And from those tallies and those common threads is how I developed my eight-week coaching program. And uh, yeah, so then my eight-week coaching program in the middle of evergreening that so that I don't have to keep launching all the time because launching is draining, which means your revenue is staggered. You never know what the consistent income is. So I'm in the middle of working with my own mastermind coach at the moment, who's a guru in Evergreen, which is Caitlin Batcher. And I'm in the middle of just evergreening my profit pillar so that I always have a steady flow of income coming in from my eight-week course. And then I'm still in there slightly from a point of view that like I do live calls every month. I'm doing monthly hot seats every month, but I only have to spend three or four hours within the group and I could have a hundred people in the group. Whereas my VIP clients at the moment, I have 17 VIP clients and they take up, you know, two hours face to face per month. But in addition to that, then there's like all the emails or a few phone calls. So they don't take up an enormous amount of time, but you can't ever grow. So for me as my monetary stream, there was my eight week coaching program, Profit Pillars. And then I've got my one-to-one. And then I also do a four day, three night women in business retreat. So yeah, which is a lower end product. Wow. I'm taking the conversation in a slightly different direction. I've got some few, a few other questions I want to ask about creating courses and evergreen content. But how do you fit all of this in? You've got a lot going on with running a community, your VIP clients, doing the evergreen, turning your coaching program into evergreen content. So how are you able to fit all of that into a week? Yeah, I guess. Then if that goes back to the beginning of the topic, it is about preparing your business to run without you is regardless if I'm in it every day or if I was in a hospital for 16 days and then recovering, is it as I always, well, not always, I should say in the last two years, when I first started after being in business with Finley and me for the other six is I realized that you need to have the mindset of being the CEO of the company versus the employee of the company. So though I slowly started to outsource little by little is that's what I need to do. And things that I ask myself are things like, would Richard Branson be doing this? 
Now, we all have to start somewhere, yes, and we all have to do the nitty gritties, yes, but eventually as we grow and we get a little bit more revenue coming in, we can look at outsourcing. And it's those lists of things that I start to accumulate going, hold on, this task needs to be done, this task needs to be done. Do I love this task? No, I actually hate this task. Great. Well, then I create a position description for that and I hire based on need versus want. And so what were some of the other things, if we talk about setting up the business so that you could have that time away, what other things did you do or what would you recommend for other business owners to be able to take time out of their business? Yep. So I guess it depends if you're e-commerce or service-based business, but with Finley and me, you know, our product inventory system that we needed to make sure that we could project what was necessary. So again, making sure that we every week were checking in on what was low, what wasn't, and, you know, ordering accordingly. So even if I was away, my staff could order that product for us, making sure that you've got staff that knows the systems and that they can fill in for you if you're not there. But it really comes down to that systems and systems can be anywhere from, you know, spreadsheets to Facebook management to content management. Again, it really depends on what your business is. And from a service-based business, again, it was that onboarding process that I needed to work out. What has to happen if this happens? I don't know. Is that what you're kind of looking for there, Mel? Like, Because again, each business is so unique, I guess. But to me, it all comes down to the systems that are necessary in your business to have allocated and to learn about. So um, it could also be like, emails. You know, there's better ways to be spending your time than writing emails. Can you have your VA write your email? So all you have to do on a Wednesday is just check it and it's done. So instead of it taking an hour, it's now just taking you five minutes. Yeah. These are exactly the kind of things, the kind of tips that I was looking for. And it's great that you can provide that perspective from an e-commerce business as well as a service business. Absolutely. So I do whatever I've done with Finley and me is the exact same thing that I do with Angela Henderson Consulting. Those primary foundational elements or do you mean need it? So things like, do I have a good website? Do I have good SEO to be found organically? Do I have a good content marketing strategy? But people say, well, how can you do it all on your own? And that's where, again, I either have people guest write for me over. So then that also helps to share their wealth and knowledge and give them links back with SEO. I also have my intern helps write articles for me. Some of my staff will write articles for the website. And I also, like I said, outsource my podcast, Business and Life Conversations with Angela Henderson. I've got a podcast VA team that does all that for me. So all I have to do is literally record it, upload it to Dropbox, and they do everything else for me. So then we use a system called Dubsado for a lot of our work. We use Asana so that everyone can keep up to date with what you know everyone's positions are in there. But to me, if you're out there starting really from scratch is literally just get a sticky pad or a notebook and start writing down every single thing you do in your business. And then once you write everything down in your business, I want you to then make three columns. And I want you to do things that I really, really, really love, things that I do because I have to and I don't hate, but I don't love, and things that I absolutely hate. And then that pile of things that I absolutely hate start going, if I were to hire someone, what would this position look like? And so things that I hated to start with was my social media, So I hired someone in the Philippines for $7 an hour to do all my social media. She posts seven times a week, so 21 times a week, um, and I pay her 40 US dollars. So that then freed me up in spending hours of trying to find content and uploading it. I then outsourced that to her, which then gave me more time to then work on my eight-week coaching program so that I could grow the business. With the BA who does the social media posting, did you have to write the content for her to share, or does she actually write content? as well. She writes it all. Ah, that's so awesome. 
So a VA, what people don't realize, in my opinion, that I found over the years is they think that they can hire a VA and that their problem goes away. Like, okay, I've hired someone, it's all done. But you actually have to put a little bit of work into it. So again, by having a position description, and this doesn't have to be flash, but if you think about if you went into Target or you went into Big W or you went into whatever the major department store was for you and you were hired there as an employee, they just don't go, go and figure it out. They've got, you know, normally like an intra web that you would go onto and you would watch videos to train you. And like, yeah, there's an expectation that you're going to be trained in the job. But so many online businesses and bricks and mortar just think that, oh, well, I've hired them. They now know what to do. Well, they can't read your mind. So by you identifying what their roles are and creating a little mini description and even using a tool like Loom, which is free to screen share and show them how to like step one, log on to WordPress, step two, click on new post, like, you know, like when walking them through each of those steps, then they're going to learn and you're going to retain your staff. But what happens, the majority of VAs fail in business because us as managers aren't prepared to train them accordingly. So you really need to put the time in initially, like I did with my, Sheila is her name from the Philippines. We showed her, you know, different pages that she could share information from. We gave her examples of what we wanted her to post and what types of content to post at a particular time. And she's been doing my socials now for Finley and me since probably three, almost close to four years. The last time I checked her work was like week three. So she just does what she needs to do. But again, we had a system around that. Yeah. As you said, it comes back to having the system, but also putting in the time to doing that job description, position description up front and putting in the time with the training as well. Someone's not necessarily going to come in and be able to run with something straight away, but with a bit of training they can. Exactly right. And it's just, once you train, it's super easy. Like literally, if it isn't, well, then they're not the right fit and it's okay to let people go. You know, our mutual friend of ours, Dan Norris, talks about failing fast. Well, it's the same type of thing as if you actually train someone, you give them a benefit for the doubt and they're not working, you would let them go just like you would in Australia or in America, you would let them go. But people are like, oh, it's the Philippines, they need the money. No, you still have to treat them like a human. And if they're not doing, you know, I mean, the job description that you've asked them to do, you've got to let them go and move on to someone else. Yeah. So I know that you run a community as well as one of the many things that you do. And have there been steps that you've taken as part of that community, running that community to help you again while you were taking time away from the business? Do you have someone helping you with that part of your business? Right. So yeah, so the Facebook group, we have almost 5,000 members in there, which is called the Australian Business Collaborative. And uh, eventually I have typically been running that group myself because I really am a huge believer about humanizing your brand, some more to that H to H type marketing. However, as you grow with any business, you can't be as hands-on necessarily as you would like. So I had already hired my community manager, Helen, and Helen accepts people into the group. She adds people to our newsletter email list. She welcomes everyone every week and she knows you know, how to respond. Again, I've given her the policy and procedure around what she needs to do and how to do that. And yeah, she's been with me now for a couple of months. But again, zero problems. We've trained her. We gave her the policy and procedure before she started. And then my project manager, she is the one that manages Helen. So I remove myself out of that. So any problems, Helen goes straight to Airly. And do you have any tips around community building? I know some people would think of it as a big time investment, especially upfront to get it going. But do you have any tips from your experience in building that? Yeah, I guess for me is building my Facebook community again was all about strategy. And it's just like having a podcast. It's a long term strategy. This isn't a quick and easy win. Um, And when you're dealing with human beings and making sure that you value them as a human versus a number, it's always going to be more work than just having something automated. But I believe 
things are over automated in our era. And I believe things are starting to backfire on businesses that do extreme automation. So I've been prepared for a very long time to do that humanizing stuff. And does it take longer? Yes. But I've never paid for We tested Google ads really briefly because I was given a sort of like a $100 free voucher. If you spend $100, we'll give you $100. So we briefly tested some Google ads. But besides that, all my VIP clients either come from word of mouth or from my Facebook group. So to me, that says something. They know the value that I'm adding within that group. They see me showing up. They see me being present, that I'm a live human being and that I'm not someone just sending an automated email. So what do I say the tips are? You have to put time aside to invest in it. I do a lot of incidental checking in. So if I go to a grocery store and I'm standing in line, I'll choose the longest line and then I'll get on my phone and I will quickly do commenting for the five extra minutes that I'm in line. So it's not an enormous amount of time. You just have to be disciplined with your time. Again, I like how you phrase that, check in, be disciplined with time and also be present. And something that I've noticed with, I watch quite a few of your Facebook lives is they seem really authentic. So it's wherever you happen to be like that hospital Facebook live and then sharing something really valuable. So do you have any thoughts or tips for someone else that wanted to get into doing Facebook Lives? I mean, some people just don't feel comfortable on starting with video. Yeah, again, I say you can always open up your own Facebook group just with you and say, adding your partner. And what I say, go into that Facebook group and just test doing lives to you and the other person because you've got to have one other person in a Facebook group. So just go in there and test it out. But I'm telling you, it's this like anything. I think there's more fear there than what is necessary. But what I say to people is if you change nothing now, where are you going to be a year from now? You're going to be in the exact same place. And video is becoming more and more popular over the last couple of years, especially on Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, if you don't start playing the game of what Facebook wants, that's okay. But just know that you're probably going to get left behind. So start small. If you don't like going live, record your video, edit your video if you have to, and then throw it up. But the more people can hear you, the more people can see you, the more emotional response you're connecting with them. And as a result, it will only build those stronger relationships, which leads to higher conversions. And my coach said the other day, conversations equal conversions. And I can't agree more with that. It's through my conversations with people that I continue to be, you know, a six-figure consulting firm. And you've mentioned some different coaches or that you work with coaches throughout the podcast. And what are your thoughts on finding the right mentor and how have you approached finding your coaches and your the mastermind that you're in? Yep. So I guess I've just quietly observed in groups and things like that and where other friends of mine are going. But, you know, I'm a firm believer that you need to pay to play. And what I mean by that is, is yes, you can go to your local free meetups, but just know that whenever something's local, typically and free, what you get in return is going to be minimal. All right. For the most part, or you're the person giving, giving, giving all the time and there's nothing received. Now I'm all about giving, but sometimes again, you've got to look at your time. If I go to this event and I'm getting zero clients, but I could go to another event and get 10 clients, you're going to choose where you end up going. All right. So for me is yeah, start local, but then start to pay to play. So you might pay $25 for an event. You then might pay $50. It's because when you start paying to play, Other people will start helping you connect. And when you start to connect, you start to grow. So I went to Chris Ducker's event initially, which was in the Philippines. It was like 
I don't know, $6,500 US ticket. So it was just about 9,000, I think, when the currency was here that year. And then you had to pay for airfares and that. But there was only 50 people from around the world that were there from entrepreneurs. There was eight speakers that were there. They ate breakfast with us, dinner with us, were in the pool drinking mojitos with us. I got so much out of that, that I made my money back within six months, you know? So you got to look at where do you position yourself? I've always chosen to position myself and pay more for events because I get more quality time with them. It's a quicker way for me to build relationships with them. And therefore my business grows a lot quicker. The other thing is, is when I attend events. So I attended Tash Corbin's event 18 months ago. I bought her VIP ticket here in Australia. I'm now speaking at her event next week. I bought my ticket to We Are Podcast with Ronsley here in Brisbane last year. And then I spoke at his event in October. I went to the Maldives, my business retreat with James Shremko. I then pitched him to speak at his event. I'm now speaking at his event. So there is an element of that's where I get, I surround myself with those people who are going to help me grow. But obviously I'm paying for that, you know what I mean? For their expertise and their time and their connections. Yeah. And there's some great examples of how attending these events has created future opportunities. I mean, there's some pretty fantastic events to be speaking at. Yeah, yeah, super excited. What are you speaking on at James Shremko's event? At James Shremko's event, I'm going to be speaking about challenge marketing and how through challenge marketing, you're able to increase your overall you know, revenue market. So my thing again there is, is I'll be speaking about how to humanize your brand why you need to humanize your brand and how, you know, a three-day, four-day, five-day challenge actually will have higher conversions than a one-hour webinar. So again, we'll be talking about challenge marketing at James's event and at Tash Corbin's event, I'll be speaking about how to increase your reach and visibility. So I'll talk about three different ways that I look at increasing my visibility and my reach. And at Ronsley's event last year at We Are Podcast, again, I talked about how to humanize your brand through a Facebook group. Humanizing your brand Theme. That's a common theme actually with Zero, which is the accounting software that we use. That was actually the theme. Yes. Their, their conference last year was something about, I can't remember the exact line that they used, but it was about being human. So maybe we'll see you at their event next time. Well, that would be fun. You can put a word in for me there, Meryl. I will. And the challenge marketing, I think I need to listen to that one. We actually tried to tidy up your Zero Marie Kondo style Zero challenge a couple of weeks ago. And that's the first challenge we've ever done. Mm-hmm. And how did it go? Well, it was good. It was a lot of work. I hadn't done videos previously, but we did five days of LinkedIn videos and it actually had the highest conversion rate in terms of email opt-ins of anything that we've done. Uh, we've still got a lot of room for improvement and things we could have learned from that, but it was fun. I got excited about an accounting challenge and people jumped on board. No, that's fantastic. And again, as you learn, again, I, look, I always say whenever you do something, there's always going to be failures is what people say. But I always look at those as lessons because it's kind of like the Super Mario and Luigi game in Nintendo we used to play back in the day. Well, I did anyways. And you could spend all day trying to get to that next level and you'd keep dying and you would keep falling down the hole. And then finally you would get it. And then you're like, cha-ching, I'm in the next level. And I kind of look at challenge marketing as the same. You've got to learn a few things before you get to pass to the next level, you know, and uh, you can always learn from those little mistakes and then big things grow from there. Well, I won't steal the thunder from your James Franco event, but I look forward to, <laughs> to hearing more about that down the track. You're fantastic. I had a couple of other questions earlier in the podcast. You were talking about turning your eight-week program into evergreen content. And I made a note because I wanted to circle back to that. And I was intrigued in terms of, first of all, what that meant. Some of our audience might, know, might not know what 
that means, evergreen content. And so if you could describe that and then also explain how you're going about doing that. Yeah, no worries. So again, the simplest way that I describe evergreen content is it's content that you've produced and you can keep reusing over and over and over again. But the next level to that is then it's like it's automated. So you could be making sales while you're sleeping. So for example, my evergreen content that I'm doing with Profit Pillars is we have created our webinar. So we're not saying we're like, hey, welcome to the live webinar. That stuff really irks me because it's not live. We're just saying, here's a free masterclass. Would you like to join? Right. And then you can watch it. But what will happen is, is on my AngelaHenderson.com.au, instead of having a big like work with me button, my call to action button is going to be join our free masterclass, right? And then they're going to get the webinar, which is about an hour and a bit long. And then they go from there. But if I even back that up before they actually probably would get to that sign up button, whether or not it's on my website or through a lead magnet, is you have to warm your audience. And this is where so many people go wrong is they'll go, yep, I'm going to evergreen a course. But if you're going to evergreen a course, you've got to get them in your funnel early on before you can promote that. So for example, is I've got a lead magnet out there at the moment that's doing really well. We get anywhere from 25 to 30 leads a day. We then have an email sequence where we're then warming them, letting them know about our free resources, the podcast, et cetera. And then eventually what will happen is instead of me offering them a discovery call for my VIP coaching, they're going to get a, hey, join our free masterclass. And then they can join the masterclass. And at the end of the masterclass, they can join the eight-week program. And once that happens, everything else is automated. They will automatically get access to the program. My community manager will filter them into the Facebook group. And then they'll have access to me through the live community. So it'll be constantly going. And then what will happen is we will also on the side of that being doing some videos where we're going to warm our audience. So it's about four or five videos we'll be doing, just adding value, adding value. And then we'll retarget those people that watch more than 50% of our videos. And then they'll get targeted with the masterclass. But again, if I tried to sell my program to a cold audience and they know nothing about me, I'm paying for ads and I'm going to have minimal conversion. So I need to bring them along that entrepreneur journey and show them the value and then let them see the masterclass and then let them, you know, buy the program. Yeah. So that's incredible. And you could potentially have a hundred people who were going through that eight-week program in the Facebook group. And then you would pop in there for, did you say Q&A or Facebook Live where they can come and interact with you? Is that how it would work? Exactly right. Yep. So they would get a one monthly call where it's just I'm live and they can ask me any question they want. I'll also do a one hour call with a guest speaker. So again, learning on a new topic. And I'll also do a one hour call where there'll be three businesses that will get 20 minutes each where they'll get a hot seat. And we'll just talk about their business for 20 minutes. So they not they don't get the full me like they would in my VIP coaching clients, but they still get a pretty good, decent amount of time with me in conjunction with the eight-week program, which is ultimately what I'm training and working through with my VIP clients. It's just that they're doing it at a much cheaper cost point than if they're paying for my own time one-to-one. And in terms of the time it takes you, there'll be an initial time investment in turning it into an evergreen piece of content yes. or multiple pieces of content. But then after that, it sounds like three hours of your time with the three different one-hour calls a month. And so that would really free you up. Oh, gosh, it's going to free me up enormously. And a lot of the other people who are in there are making anywhere from 50 to 70K a month off of one evergreen funnel. Wow. So, you know, and now, Grant, let's like make sure we caveat that because there's nothing worse when I hear people say, I had a six-figure launch. Well, 
actually BS, by the time you paid your overheads and anything like that, you may have had five figures. So you may have hit six figures, but what did you actually profit? So let's just again caveat, if you're making 70K a month off an evergreen, you're bringing that in from a revenue point of view, but you still, they're not taking off, like how much ad spend did they have to warm those people? Do you know what I mean? And get them into the funnel. Yeah. What are they paying for their team? So it's just 70K they're bringing in. But again, even if you took $20,000 off of that for your overheads, a 50K month, isn't bad, you know what I mean? For three hours of your time. Yes. I know about plenty of people that would be that be happy with that. Yes. So before we wrap up, before we started recording, we had a quick chat about balance and the integration between work and home life. And I think you've got a really nice take on that. So I just wanted to get your thoughts about work-life balance. Well, listen, I won't swear on your podcast because you know I'm a bit of a swearer. So I'll restrain myself from that. But listen, I do call BS on like this whole balance. If I see one more do yoga and drink green smoothies at 4 a.m. and do the Miracle Morning, like I'm going to like gouge my eyes out, right? Because Miracle Mornings are really great. If you don't potentially have children, you might not have a partner and you've got like you actually go to bed at a decent hour and you can wake up at four not feeling like you're going to like fall over. But when I try to do the four-hour work balance, have green smoothies, drink yoga, and write in my gratitude journal, <laughs> I would go to bed at 10, but then my children would be up screaming at 11, 12, 1, 2. I'd finally get to sleep till 4, wake up, and then they'd wake up at 5 and interrupt my miracle morning, which was supposed to be from 4 to 6, right? So I'm like, well, this clearly is not working, or people clearly don't have children and don't understand this. So what I have realized, and I've given myself permission over the years, is that there's actually no work-life balance at all. It's what works best for you and your family. And that's all that matters. So as we were talking earlier is my husband goes to bed at around 730 every night, my kids are in bed at seven. So I have choices, I can either sit on the couch, binge watch Netflix, which is fine for those of you that are listening and do that. But I actually love what I do. So when I choose not to binge watch a Netflix and plutter away on a new blog post, or I don't know, do a Facebook live. I don't look at that as work. I look at that as just like, I like doing what I'm doing. And there's nothing wrong with me liking what I'm doing. And there's nothing wrong that if I want to do a live at eight o'clock, that there's something wrong with it. Because people say, oh, you're on at eight in your Facebook group, which means oh, you don't have work-life balance. Well, no, who are you to tell me I don't have work-life balance? I like what I do. So I just say like, kind of, you know, run your own race find whatever balance works for you and your family. And don't worry about every ad that's coming up saying you need to be a green smoothie yoga ninja, because that might not work for you. I love it. Well said. Yes. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Ange. And if anyone wanted to get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to do that? So I guess you can always go to my website, which is angelahenderson.com.au. And there's a lot of stuff on there, like my blog. You can also access our podcast, which is Business and Life Conversations with Angela Henderson. You can either access that through iTunes, Shopify, um, not Shopify, Spotify, geez, Shopify, and um, the website. Or you can also join my active Facebook community for business owners, which is the Australian Business Collaborative. Wonderful. Thanks so much. No worries. You have an awesome day. By the way, if you're a coach or consultant, we've published an in-depth guide to help you improve your financial health and cash flow this year. Check it out for free at beingninjas.com forward slash coaches. That's B-E-A-N-N-I-N-J-A-S dot com forward slash coaches.